Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast. This is an election year. Will Donald Trump be re-elected? What is going on with the Democrats? And has America gone even more crazy? We'll be discussing all of these things and more, more than once a week, because we don't feel you have enough Americano in your life. And I have a special offer for Americano listeners. If you want to subscribe to the Spectator's US edition, which is brilliant, by the way, I edit it, you can go to www.spectator.us forward slash subscribe and take advantage of our special Americano offer. If you insert the code Americano in capital letters like Donald Trump on Twitter, you will get 5% off. Please do so. I'm joined today by Amber Athey, who is the Spectator's Washington editor, and we're going to be talking about America and the coronavirus. Amber, first of all, I hope you're well. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. You are, you're sort of self-quarantining at the moment. Yes, I have been in my apartment for three or four days now without leaving, so I'm getting a little bit stir-crazy, but I have my cat here, I have plenty of food, so I'm hanging in there. Good. Glad to hear it. I understand that the White House has actually started telling reporters, because you have a White House press pass, but... I think they've issued a list. Are you, are you, have you qualified? Unfortunately, I have not made the exclusive list. So they started uh, last week actually taking the temperatures of every reporter that came onto the White House complex. One Chinese state reporter was actually turned away after he was tested three times in 15 minutes and every single time had over 100 degree fever. He was sent home. Oh, wow. Now this week... He was a reporter for who? He was uh, with a Chinese state media outlet, which is somewhat concerning considering the origin of the coronavirus. But, yes, uh, yes. Let's not make racist remarks. No, that is, of course not. <laughs> you could see why he was turned away. Yeah, definitely um, not ideal. Uh, you don't want him <laughs> yeah. within 10 feet of the president. Yes. Uh, but early this week, the White House actually issued additional guidance uh banning certain reporters from the complex in order to prevent the briefing room from getting overcrowded with people who could potentially be asymptomatic and carrying the virus. So right now, the White House Correspondents Association actually has an emergency seating chart for the briefing room. So reporters are sitting a few seats away from each other rather than being packed in like sardines like they usually are. And individuals who are not on the seating chart and are not in the White House press pool are not allowed on the White House grounds at all, which is very, very unusual. Usually you can, if you have a White House press pass or even just temporary admittance to the White House, you can go on grounds pretty much any time during working hours. Deep and profound questions are being asked about how various civilizations are going to cope with it. How, what's your impression of how Americans are coping with it? Well, I was really disappointed this past weekend at the number of people, especially people my age, who were crowding the bars, going out to eat and really avoiding these guidelines about social distancing because we saw what happened in Italy when they were too late to start quarantining themselves and they've had this explosion of cases there. Granted, their population is more elderly than the U.S. and that can account for some of the increase in deaths there. But I, I really want millennials and people my age to take this very seriously because in many cases, we're asymptomatic. We have no idea that we're carrying the coronavirus. And then if we go out and interact with someone who's later going to see their grandparents or someone who is immunocompromised, they could be spreading it without having any idea. And inevitably, there's a lot of talk about President Trump, how he's handling it, a lot of criticism. 
Would you say that the criticism has been excessive? It's been excessive, but not necessarily unwarranted. I think in the beginning of this crisis, back in late December, early January, when we first started hearing about the coronavirus, there definitely was this sense from the White House that this whole idea of a health crisis was kind of overblown. And then now we're at the stage where Trump has declared a national emergency. They're looking at an $850 billion stimulus package for people who will be affected by the shutdown of the economy. Recent guidelines about social distancing have now asked people to avoid gatherings of 10 people or more for 15 days. So really cracking down there. And there's been such a shift in the tone. Granted, when we were back in January, there were maybe five cases in the United States. But given how quickly this spread in places like China, South Korea, Italy, and the EU, perhaps there should have been a more serious tone taken from the White House there. There's also this issue of the testing kits, where only thousands of people had been tested in the United States, where millions of people had been tested elsewhere, giving people a better idea of how fast the virus was spreading and what its mortality rate was. Um, so that was another area where I think the White House deserved to be criticized for that. I will say over the past week, watching these daily press briefings with the president, Vice President Mike Pence, as well as the HHS team and the Coronavirus Task Force, has helped give people a better sense of what exactly this pandemic is looking like in the United States, as well as what steps we can take to mitigate it. So that's helped to calm some of the fears. Although you'll see in the stock market, it's still really volatile right now. Yesterday, the biggest drop in history, 3,000 points. It's recovered a, a bit today, but the economic implications of this cannot be overstated. It is all terrifying on, on the economic front, but um, it's also... Slightly terrifying in the, in, in the global politics front, because there's an idea that whereas the First World War um, ended with a pandemic, the next World War might just be about to start with one. Certainly the sort of tensions between China and America seem to be ratcheting up pretty quickly. And I see that Trump has now taken to tweeting it, calling it not, not the Wuhan virus, but the Chinese virus, which is also prompting a, a vicious backlash against him on Twitter. And that's interesting, too, because... When this whole thing first started, Trump was actually praiseworthy of China's response. And he insisted that Xi Jinping was doing a great job at containing this and informing people. We now know that's not the case. There were several whistleblowers in China who tried to warn that the virus was much worse than China was telling the rest of the world and that their containment measures were really too little too late. Um, so Trump now seems to be latching on to more of that um, idea of how China's handled the virus. And it's, it, it's surprising that he didn't do that in the beginning because, of course, he's been very outspoken about the U.S. and China's rather adversarial relationship. It's possible he was trying to save the phase two trade deal that he's working on with China by not trying to blame them for the virus. But now that this thing has really swept the United States, he can't really take that tone anymore. And do you think on, on the Chinese side, there's been quite a lot of talk about how Chinese bots are spreading, not just Chinese bots, actually, proper Chinese officials are spreading conspiracy theories about how the CIA created the virus as a sort of act of asymmetric warfare. Do you think this will only lead to a kind of great power tension between Americans generally and Chinese people generally? We'll see. I think 
that most people are aware that this is classic Chinese Communist Party propaganda. You saw the uh, head, the spokesperson for the foreign ministry, for example, claiming that the U.S. Army was responsible for the spread of the virus in China. And this is more of an attempt for China to hide the truth from its own citizens, to claim that they're the superpower that has properly contained this virus that the evil U.S. started. But outside of the lockdown on information in China, everyone really sees this for what it is. And looking at the election, which is still ongoing, there there are reports that it might have to be cancelled, but I think that's a little over the top at the moment. We had the Democratic debate on Sunday night. All of this is being kind of blown out the water by Corona news, but it certainly seems as though Biden performed better than people expected in the debate and Bernie performed a little worse. And so the nomination is very much looking like his. Do you think he is a better candidate than Trump in a time of international pandemic? It's really hard to say. I think Trump has been benefited greatly by having Mike Pence there. He's a more sobering voice. Uh, Trump is much better at fighting other people than he is things like natural disasters. So there is a fair point to be made that Joe Biden could perhaps be a more calming voice in a time of turbulence like this. Perhaps his response would have been more even across the board as opposed to Trump starting out trying to downplay what was happening and now all of a sudden taking it very seriously. But that being said, Joe Biden also has this serious issue with what appears to be some kind of cognitive decline. And he was unable to even properly name the virus during the debate on Sunday night, referring to the Ebola crisis and SARS, as well as referring to the swine flu as, I think it was, he said N11H or something. He mixed up the (laughs) acronym completely. So that's not a good sign either. He was actually coughing for most of the debate, which certainly doesn't make people feel good when uh, they've already gotten rid of the live studio audience there. So, I, you know, I don't think either man really has a lock right now on the response to a global pande- pandemic like this. It has been pointed out a fair bit, but it is nonetheless interesting that the three remaining presidential candidates are all high-risk individuals in themselves. And of course, elections involve a lot of meeting people, a lot of rallies. It's going to be an unusual election unless this thing gets a lot better very quickly. No doubt. And two other interesting points there is, one, in terms of not having these big rallies or meet and greets, that greatly benefits Joe Biden because he repeatedly has these gaffes when meeting people in person or speaking publicly for example, he had that aggressive showdown with an auto worker just last week where he yelled at him about gun control and got the facts wrong repeatedly, threatened to go outside with the guy. But then at the same time, his voter base is a lot older and Bernie has been having a hard time getting young people to come out and vote. It seems like if they do continue on with these primaries. I think Ohio has tried to delay theirs and Louisiana says theirs is delayed as well. It could be possible that if this virus spreads far enough, you could see a depression in voter turnout, particularly among the elderly. Well, yes, because I mean, I think before Corona became an international problem, I, for one, found it hard to see what could stop Trump winning an election. And of course, this might be the one thing that really can. 
I really do think that this is the biggest threat that he's faced so far in his presidency, which is absolutely wild to say, considering he was just impeached. But the economy has always been Trump's bread and butter, and particularly when trying to win over some of the um, people that he didn't in 2016 in terms of expanding his voter base to people like suburban women. The economy is a huge issue for them. And then in terms of manufacturers, blue-collar workers, uh, Trump's base, these are people that could potentially flip to the Democratic Party if they don't feel like the Trump economy has been working for them. That was one of his chief campaign promises, of course. So now we're looking at, again, this $850 billion stimulus package. We have no idea if this is going to actually help the people who are being put out of work by the coronavirus. My father's in construction. I know that his union has already said that if people are unable to get contracted jobs right now, that workers will start to be laid off. So this is a serious problem for Trump. He'll have to find something else to run on other than the economy if this does continue through summer and we see mass layoffs, major declines in the stock market. If he recovers by, let's say, July, I don't think it'll be a knockout punch for him. I think he'll be able to still say that he was able to weather the storm and prevent what have been a larger economic disaster. But once you start getting into August and September, it might be too late for him to really have a, a winning message beyond the other things that his administration has done that might only appeal to his very hardcore but relatively small base. And also, I mean, his 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 boosters in the media are used to saying the the Democrats just can't accept that he won the election, um, that, you know, Russiagate is a big fraud, that Ukraine gate was a big fraud, too. They started, a few of them started to try and sort of throw that argument at coronavirus, which seems to have been a big, big mistake. Right. Well, Fox Business's Trish Regan has been pulled off the network, at least temporarily, because of her own comments suggesting that this was the impeachment hoax all over again, this time with a global pandemic. And uh, according to sources who uh, spoke to other outlets, she might not even return to the network. So huge error there. And let's be honest, some of the conservative media, I think, was kind of responsible for Trump's initial response to this because they wanted to try to protect Trump at all costs without taking this virus seriously. And they perhaps delayed the proper response to uh, trying to contain this and could have possibly made it worse. Um, but that that being said, you should also take into account that the the... Democrats and Trump's critics are in danger of overplaying their hand, too, because if this becomes a sort of get Trump response to a great tragedy, then the anger may well be turned towards them and in favor of Trump as, as November approaches. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, you have news outlets claiming that calling it the Wuhan virus or the Chinese virus is racist. You have them claiming that Trump is responsible for more deaths. I mean, that kind of politicization of a tragedy or of a crisis is never going to play well for the media. So I think across the board, you're seeing these really aggressive responses that are centered around Trump when really the reporting should be focused on getting the best information to the American people and making sure that they're doing whatever they can to keep themselves safe. As a Washington journalist, what do you think about that? I mean, it seems to me that the 
the kind of polarization of the media is so bad now that any story has to immediately take on the kind of not I won't even say left or right I'll say sort of Trump pro-Trump anti-Trump dynamics and uh, the fact that Corona took on these dynamics meant that nobody was able to get a sense of whether it was a real threat because we were so busy trying to figure out whether it was an attempt to undermine Trump or whether it was something else. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Even I, as a member of the media, was really unsure of how seriously to take this when it first started out because I saw members of the left-wing establishment media claiming that this was going to be the thing that sunk the Trump presidency. And then you saw the counter reaction, which was that this was all politicization and it's just like the flu. People are overblowing this to try to make Trump look bad. Turns out the correct answer was probably somewhere in the middle, but we didn't get there until probably a couple of months after we should have. And in the meantime, there's been a ton of misinformation spread about the virus. And it really just does a disservice to people who really want their news media to give them information, not just to color everything through the Trump lens. Yes. Well, I mean, it is easy. I mean, as a journalist, I love blaming the media because I'm, I'm a sort of self-hating journalist. But <laughs> it is perhaps Me too. It is perhaps too easy to blame the media because now everybody takes part in these sort of exercises of propaganda one way or the other, don't they? I mean, everybody, few, too few people care about what's true. They just care about what panders to their prejudices. Yeah, I think that's right. It's all about winning the big game, which is, in this case, the 2020 election. And that seemed to take precedence over anything else. Amber, we'll leave it there. But thank you very much for joining us and stay safe. Don't go stir crazy in quarantine. <laughs> I'll try not to. Thanks, Freddie. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Americano. And I'd like to encourage you all to give us your feedback, positive comments or constructive comments only, please, to podcast at spectator.co.uk and say anything you like there as long as it's reasonably polite. <laughs>